Hello and welcome to Starting Over with Shannon. This is a podcast about fresh starts, new chapters and embracing change and challenge to become a better version of ourselves and create a better world around us. I'm your host Shannon Jenkins and every week I'll be bringing you a different Starting Over story with tips on how to conquer life's difficulties to find greater joy, meaning and purpose. Hello lovely listeners, on the cards today is a well-considered solo episode all on the subject of self-sabotage. Have you heard of the concept before? Are you a self-saboteur and willing to admit and accept it? Do you know how to actually make changes for the betterment of your holistic health and well-being? I remember a couple of years ago, the first time that my partner David suggested that I was self-sabotaging, I was like, quite frankly, offended. And almost disbelieving too. Like, are you serious? Why would I intentionally sabotage myself when this is exactly what I want? FYI, there is a distinction between conscious and unconscious self-sabotage. I'll come to that later. But sometime after that initial suggestion from my partner, I actually decided to do some reading and self-exploration. And then I realized, oh yeah, okay, actually that could definitely apply to me. And I have a sneaky feeling it may apply to a lot of you as well. So here is how this solo episode will be scoped out. First, I'm going to discuss what self-sabotage actually is and what some common types of self-sabotage are. I'll then go on to a discussion about what causes it, why we actually do it. And then lastly, five ways that we can stop self-sabotaging. So first, what is self-sabotage? Self-sabotage occurs when we damage ourselves physically, mentally, or emotionally, or we deliberately hinder our own success and well-being. It's a type of behavioral dysregulation that can occur both consciously and unconsciously, as I've just mentioned. So a form of conscious self-sabotage may be this. Let's say that you are overweight and aware that you are on a diet, then you decide to gobble up a whole tub of Ben and Jerry's. That's conscious self-sabotage. Unconscious self-sabotage is when, as you may well guess, we are not aware that we are sabotaging ourselves. For instance, a person misses a work deadline. At first, it seems like they were just poor at time management, but maybe there's actually a fear of failure lurking underneath that led to procrastination, and then this in turn thwarts their goal of promotion. Now, a question that may be coming up for you, and it came up for me too, is what is the difference between self-sabotage and just laziness? I think this one can actually be quite difficult to determine, but I think it actually comes down to our underlying beliefs about ourselves. So what are some ways that self people self-sabotage? And how do I know, or how do you know if you are self-sabotaging? If you're wondering whether you may indeed be self-sabotaging, whether you should listen to the steps on how to overcome it, here are some really common ways in which people self-sabotage. First, procrastination and perfectionism, just like in the example I just gave you, they often go hand in hand. Self-medication, so self-soothing, numbing behaviors, whether that be through drugs, alcohol, binge eating, And also other types of self-injurious behavior, self-harming, cutting, and so forth. You could also have mindless distractions, 
binge TV watching or internet, scrolling through social media, a video game obsession. This all comes under the idea of numbing ourselves from something we don't want to feel. And something that I call counterproductive mindsets. So this could be a chronic indecisiveness, which could then lead to taking no action, which then could sabotage you from achieving your goals. A fear-based self-protection, which could, for example, lead you to end a romantic relationship for fear of being hurt before that actually happens, or even choosing just not to commit at all. Also self-critical talk, which contributes to undermining one's own goals and feelings of low self-esteem, depression, anxiety. And of course, these all tend to lower our self-esteem and our self-concept, which is the image that we have of ourselves, how we perceive our abilities, behaviors, and unique characteristics. For example, I am a good friend. I am unintelligent. I am good at analytical skills and analyzing situations. When it comes to our negative self-concept though, the trouble is we act in a self-destructive way so as to actually reinforce those negative ideas that we have of ourselves. And because we absorb them so much as a seemingly permanent part of our identity, they can be so difficult to overcome. Are you finding yourself in any of this? Let's consider why on earth we would do this in the first place. What actually causes self-sabotage and why, why do we do it? The first point that I really want to draw attention to is our brain's preference for familiarity. To the brain, familiarity equals comfort, safety, security. And also our brain expends less energy when conducting familiar tasks. It can run on autopilot and save some calories, basically. So you may actually find that you are also more prone to self-sabotaging behavior when you are depleted of energy, whether that be food, sleep, and so on. Now, according to Dr. Joe Dispenza, we operate only 5% a day in a conscious state. The rest of the time, we are in subconscious autopilot. So this means that 95% of the time we are letting our subconscious mind make our choices and guide our behavior. But why does that matter? You might be thinking, seems like a great setup in a way because I can be dealing with all of that decision fatigue and general exertion if I had to be present and focused 100% of the time. Well, despite the benefits, it's also worth noting that we unconsciously store our dysfunctional and distorted beliefs about ourselves there. Beliefs that can cause us to underestimate our capabilities, undermine our progress and engage in these other self-sabotaging behaviors that I've just described. And unfortunately, many of us have accumulated quite a sum of these over the years, and particularly in childhood when our brains are forming. So undoubtedly, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, that would contribute to this. If you lived through traumatic experiences, including neglect, physical, emotional, sexual or psychological abuse, you are much more likely to have stored negative beliefs about yourself and have such self-sabotaging behaviors. Now, psychologists use a term called cognitive dissonance, which refers to the internal imbalance or discomfort experienced when words or actions do not align with beliefs and values. We then ease the discomfort by changing our words or behaviors 
or by reframing our goals and values. So let's say if you were told as a child that you would quote unquote never amount to anything, you may have formed that as a core belief in your subconscious, even if you consciously do not believe that. Then maybe you do indeed start amounting to something as such, and then you suddenly feel uncomfortable, even if you don't know why. This is when you could then start self-sabotaging. So it's no surprise that low self-esteem and a fierce inner critic tends to be very present among self-saboteurs. And unfortunately, many act in a way that actually confirms their negative beliefs about themselves. So coming back to this question of why we engage in self-sabotaging behaviors, even when it seems entirely irrational and illogical, consider this. You created beliefs and behaviors which allowed you to survive challenges you experienced at some stage in your life that they could have soothed you, defended you. It's just that these methods of coping may now be causing you problems or causing problems at a later date when your situation changes. For instance, maybe you self-soothed through eating as a child whenever your parents argued, but that then developed into a pattern of binge eating and using food to comfort you later on, which is now causing you other problems. Or as another example, let's say that you were abandoned or neglected by a caregiver in your childhood you may then go on to unconsciously repeat the same pattern in your adulthood whether that be by choosing a partner who is incapable of truly loving you or perhaps by ending a relationship before it's had a chance to take off or maybe even when it is actually going really well and you stop it then because you fear getting hurt even if you're not hurting right now For others, the price of hope can just feel too high. Perhaps they don't want to get their hopes up in case they're dashed. So accepting lesser goals is more comfortable. And as we've said, obviously, our subconscious mind wants to be comfortable. Self-sabotage can also stem from both a fear of failure and somewhat peculiarly a fear of success. It's actually been suggested that among some self-saboteurs, there may actually be an unconscious desire to protect those who love them, particularly those who cared for them in childhood, from a sense of envy or inadequacy that might be triggered by their gains. This actually reminds me of a situation when I was in high school. I was teaching in a school with children from predominantly low socioeconomic status background. A very, very small minority of those students went to university from that school. And of course, parents largely did not either. I saw so many self-sabotaging behaviors in that instance because either there was an element where the children didn't think that they would ever be capable of going to university, even if they were, um, but also those who felt like they, by going to university, they wouldn't be able to fit in with their family anymore. And they felt like their family wouldn't accept them. They wouldn't be part of the, their family identity. They'd be the black sheep and so on. And they didn't want to do that. So they intentionally kept their circles smaller. They did not take that option of broadening, broadening sorry, their horizons, so to speak. So that's a little sum up of some of the ways in which we self-sabotage and also why we do it, what are some of the causes. But now how can we stop? So how can we stop self-sabotage? 
one of the points I really want to emphasize, and it's a message I share regularly through my social media accounts, you are not your thoughts. You are not your beliefs. You are not your habits. These are all things that you have the power to change should you bring some conscious awareness to them and continue courageously on your self-development and healing journey. And perhaps this is why you may often hear that gaining awareness is the first and the most significant step or leap, I should say, because it really is a leap ahead. Just as a reminder from the beginning, I stated that 90%, 95% of our daily activity is governed by our subconscious mind, the home of our autopilot functionality. Therefore, bringing a self-sabotaging behavior into our, when our awareness is not something to be casually dismissed, even if the road feels long to overcome it. Another key way that we can stop self-sabotaging is by really examining the root causes. Again, I speak so much of this throughout the podcast, how we need to treat the causes and not the symptoms or not only the symptoms. So I could simply say you need to stop procrastinating. You need to stop your perfectionistic thinking and accept excellence instead of perfection. And sure, you should indeed do those things. But these are all symptomatic symptomatic of an underlying problem, usually an underlying fear, a fear of being unworthy, unloved, unlovable. So in examining the root cause of your self-sabotaging behavior, you need to ask yourself, what is the void that I am trying to fill? You need to bravely and compassionately explore that hurt place of yourself and ideally with the help of others, whether that be a trusted friend or psychologist, counsellor, because contrary to popular wisdom, time doesn't simply heal all wounds. It often buries them and we cannot heal what we do not feel. Another way of stopping self-sabotage can involve use of a psychological technique called cognitive diffusion. So this is used in acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT for short, which is a mindfulness-based psychotherapy. It involves creating distance between ourselves and our thoughts and feelings so that they have less hold over us. The goal is to look at thoughts rather than from thoughts, to notice thoughts rather than become caught up in them, and to let thoughts come and go rather than holding on to them. Let me illustrate. So take a moment to imagine or even do this yourself. If you hold your hands, palms up to your face, a few inches from your face, all you can see is your hands, right? Now, if you extend them to full arm's length, you can still see your hands, but you can see basically everything else in the room as well. Use this as an analogy for gaining distance, clarity, perspective, which is what we so often need to do with our thoughts and feelings because they often feel like they've temporarily taken us hostage and we're stuck in that situation. We don't know how to get out. It's uncomfortable. This, by giving ourselves space in this way, it also gives us a chance to reframe 
in a positive way, which is something that can feel very difficult to do in the moment and very difficult when that negative, so-called negative thought or feeling is right up in our face. So in practice, this could involve simply just noticing and saying to yourself, oh, I notice I'm having X thought again, or, oh yeah, okay, that's fear of failure popping up again. Or even if you're totally weird doing this at first, you could sarcastically say something like, oh, thanks for the wonderful boost of encouragement when some hypercritical thought pops into your mind. The goal is to change your relationship with your thoughts, become more distant from them and crucially not see them as you. And of course, if you can add humor or lightness to that, all the better. Another method is from spiritual teacher Byron Katie. I really love her way of questioning stressful thoughts, so I thought I would mention it here. So let's say that you self-sabotage by regularly procrastinating. You have many self-critical negative thoughts spinning around your mind, a lot of that self-doubt, I cannot do this, I'm going to fail, oh, maybe I shouldn't do it. Katie encourages people to ask themselves first, is it true? Yes or no? Second, can you absolutely know that it's true? Third, how do you react? when? What happens when you believe that thought? When you believe that thought that you're not going to amount to anything, when you can't do this, when you're not going to achieve that goal, when you're going to fail, fail how does that make you feel? Chances are it makes you feel really bad, but she asks you to become much more familiar with how that actually feels in your body because it's often a very real fear. And lastly, she encourages us to consider who would you be without that thought? Imagine if that wasn't there for you, how would you feel? I mean, I know if I'm putting myself in that situation right now with procrastinating, be feeling full of self-doubt, if I didn't have that, I would feel so much lighter, so much more free, and even in some respects, rather limitless, you know? So ask yourself in the moment of having these critical thoughts, whatever it is that is that pertains to you, consider it, maybe journal about it, or even speak with a friend or a family member or a psychologist, of course. And that brings me to another important, simple but important point, which is communication. No one escapes difficulty and suffering. And while we can and should be selective in who we share our vulnerabilities with, opening up can actually be really healing. And for one, voicing a fear can often make it feel less frightening. It can also help us to make sense of what we're experiencing and also just to not feel alone. You know, especially with so many of these self-sabotaging behaviors, they can trigger so many heavy feelings of shame and shame lives in the dark. If you speak about that, if you bring it into the light, if you open it up, you are naturally going to diffuse that. And the last note that I just want to leave you with here is be gentle and compassionate with yourself. There's often so much talk about pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. And indeed, I've said it so many times myself, but I am increasingly realizing that stepping gently out of our comfort zone is a much better approach. And remember, every day is a new day and you are allowed to start over. 
thank you for listening to another episode if you really enjoyed this solo found it useful please share it with a friend or post it on your instagram stories and tag me in it and i'm sending you a lot of love and courage and compassion for this healing journey because i know it isn't always easy but i do know that it is worth it take care bye